This is the Tom Bigby Tales, and I'm your host, Shannon Evans. I write about a small town in northeast Mississippi along the Tom Bigby River called Columbus. Today's episode is the anonymous letter, but before I get into that, I want to bring up two items of interest. I plan to make Mondays, Murder Monday, as often as possible, where I'll tell about murders and mayhem in Columbus. And I will also, on Tuesdays and or Thursdays, I will do episodes that I'm going to call the Tom Bigby Tattletales, essentially, where I will update you on local goings-on in our government and in our government-run organizations like the Columbus Visitors Bureau. But today's episode is called An Anonymous Letter. In the fall of 1906, Justice of the Peace Judge Beverly Matthews went to the sheriff with a wild story. He told the sheriff that he had allegedly received an anonymous letter that indicated that 14 local black porters and teamsters were stealing from their employees. The sheriff and the judge unearthed a scheme in which the porters systematically were believed to have stolen goods from their merchant employers. The goods were then, allegedly, put into storage in one of their homes or barns to go in a new store that the porters were building on a lot that they had purchased in North Columbus. The ringleader of this supposed crime ring were... Reverend Joe Frierson, who was a porter for L.A. Vaughn at Columbus Dry Goods, and Major Sam Lewis, a local drayman. Frierson, Lewis, and the 14 others arrested had formed a Teamsters Trust in recent months. They had organized themselves into a union of sorts to improve their access to insurance to protect their livelihoods and to create an umbrella group to pool their resources. Frierson was elected president and Lewis was selected as their secretary and treasurer. Teamsters had recently purchased land and eventually planned to create their own wholesale grocery business in North Columbus. The store was almost ready for grand opening when the anonymous letter was allegedly sent to Matthews. Matthews was a member of the Ku Klux Klan and a leading advocate of white-owned only businesses in Columbus and extolled significant influence in the community. His father had run out the previous, uh, shall we call them, the carpetbagger tax collector who had lived in their home in what is the present-day parking lot beside the uh, YMCA. Anyways, Matthews approached the various mercantile businesses owners in town and explained how the porters and teamsters had created a theft ring bent on using the white-owned business's inventory to stock the soon-to-be-constructed black-owned store. Matthews never produced the letter for validation, and no one dared question him or the letter's existence. However, no one ever laid eyes on this letter other than Judge Matthews himself. The local paper, The Dispatch, commented in an editorial that the porters were making good wages working for white store owners. Why did they feel the need to start their own store? The list of additional men arrested and listed in the paper were Ed Cox, a porter for Lawrence, Huffson, and Company, William Harris, 
a porter for Harris Pugh's Hardware, as well as who ran a tin shop, Albert Toland, a teamster, Ed Brown and Jim Brown, teamsters who lived in the Cherokee neighborhood. They were eventually released as no evidence was ever found to hold them. And Willie Williams, a porter for Mr. Franklin and Company. Williams made a run for it and was captured in Greenville, Mississippi, and brought back to Columbus by Constable Loftus. The employers for the porters had no idea that they were being robbed and were shocked and dismayed that their most valued and trusted workers and porters were stealing from them, allegedly. Major Lewis was considered a a well-respected, hardworking, salt-of-the-earth man. Local businessmen had been using his services for years to move merchandise and make deliveries to their customers. They would not believe it still, except that the judge's case was so compelling based on raids on the properties of the 14. In one man's home, they found an entire bag of black pepper. Scandalous. A common commodity in anyone's home at the time. In another's home, they found an almost full barrel of flour in his wife's kitchen. Another common item. One man had a new winter coat hanging by his door. None of their employers believed that any of them were running a theft ring. They were shocked that the allegations were brought forward and never suspected that it was possible. But they fired every one of them nonetheless. Matthew's letter identified Frierson as the leader of the gang, allegedly, and had him arrested. Frierson was charged with five counts of running a theft ring. The trial before Matthew's was swift, lasting only a day. Frierson was represented by General E.T. Sykes. Lewis was placed on the stand for the prosecution first. He stated he took stolen goods to Frierson and that the Reverend knew they were stolen. He testified that Frierson gave him a box of tobacco for his services. The state put forth a theory that day that Mr. Richardson's porter, Napoleon Irby, would steal the goods from the store and send them via Lewis to Frierson. Sheriff Eggleston and Constable Loftus alleged they found goods at Frierson's home that Lewis had supposedly left behind. The evidence was thrown out of court as it was deemed coerced while Frierson was under arrest. Frierson finally testified in his own behalf. He claimed that the goods the officers found were brought there by Major Lewis, who asked him to store them in his barn for safekeeping. Frierson denied knowing the goods were stolen. His wife, Mamie, took the stand and told the jury that she had advised her husband not to store anything for Major, not because she thought the items could be stolen, but because it might make their neighbors suspicious. L.A. Vaughn testified for the defense of Frierson, whom he employed. He provided a character witness that stated he had employed Frierson for the last year and that he found him always honest, reliable, and truthful. Unfortunately, the prosecutor got him to state that he no longer trusts Frierson due to the indictment before the court. The prosecution rested and the case was turned over to the jury on the 29th of November. They were out 15 minutes before they returned with guilty conviction on five counts. It was usual in similar cases for all the counts to be combined into one and a single $25 fine and 90 days in the county farm to be the sentence. Matthews gave Frierson a sentence of $25 and 90 days per case for a total of $150 fine and 15 months on the county farm. Frierson was taken straight to the county farm to begin his sentence. 
Frierson's wife immediately set to work to find the funds for an appeal. She then fired General Sykes and hired W.P. Stribling. She got Black businessman and entrepreneur neighbor Jim Hollis to sign a bond for her husband with U.S. Fidelity and Guarantee Company of Columbus and Jackson. On December 20th of 1906, Frierson filed an appeal and his bond was set at $750, which was produced by Hollis. At his next court date of January 31st, 1907, Frierson was a no-show and his bond was declared forfeited for non-appearance. It is not clear why he failed to show for the hearing, but it is intimated in editorials from the time that white popular opinion was that he should have been lynched for stealing, quote, like thieves did in days gone by, close quote. The case came to court once more on October 3rd, 1907. It was processed in court before a different judge, and Frierson paid a fine of $100 and got off with no other sentence. The anonymous letter was never produced for public purview. The porters and teamsters never opened their store in North Columbus. All the men were are found living and working in Columbus as late as 1930. Ed Cox is found on the 1950 census at the age of 81, living on 15th Street North. William Harris, Ed Brown, and Jim Brown are not found on any records in Lowndes County after the 1930 census. Joe Fierson is listed as living on the south side of Columbus in 1940. He is buried in the Frierson Cemetery on Waverly Ferry Road. There are no burial records to be found on the other men. I want to thank you for coming to the Tom Bigby Tales podcast. And I'd like to invite you to learn more about Columbus and Lowndes County by visiting and liking the Historic Home Tours Facebook page. And please remember to follow, comment, and subscribe to the Tom Bigby Tales. Until next time.